Security awareness professionals are really looking for guidance. They seem to know, like, I, I'm probably not measuring the right things, but I don't know exactly what I should be measuring, how I should be measuring it. They sit, they're willing, but they just need more help. They need more support and, and trying to figure out what's most meaningful. Well, welcome back to another episode of Behave. My name's Joe Giddens. I'm the Director of Content at CyberSafe. Today, I'm joined by Julie Haney. Julie is a computer scientist and usable cybersecurity program lead at the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, otherwise known as NIST. Julie conducts research about the human element of cybersecurity, including the usability and adoption of security solutions, work practices of security professionals, and people's perceptions of privacy and security. Previously, Julie spent over 20 years working in the U.S. Department of Defense as a cybersecurity professional and technical director. She has a PhD in human-centered computing and an MS and BS in computer science. Julie, welcome. Thanks, Joe. It's nice to be here. Today, we're talking about a, a report released by Gartner. The title of the report is Security Awareness Efforts Fall Short. Now what? So I thought I'd begin just by giving a little bit of background to where we have ended up today. July 2022, last year. You and your team release a paper called Measuring the Effectiveness of U.S. Government Security Awareness Programs, a Mixed Methods Study. Last year in September, so September 2022, Forrester released a blog called A Sneak Peek into the Future of Security Awareness and Training. And within that blog, they, they call out a lot of things that you guys found or picked up on in your study. And then February this year, 2023, Gartner release a report called security awareness efforts fall short now what and that's what we're here to talk about today but maybe let's go back to the beginning why don't you give us a little bit of background about the study you did and the themes that started to emerge from that study sure so um this all started in late 2020 we were interested in doing some work in the security awareness space um, and we spoke with um, another group at NIST who were just kicking off um, a, a new working group to update a very old special publication about building an effective security awareness program. Um, it hadn't been updated since 2003. Um, and so they were putting together a team to do that update in the next um, couple of years. And they did not really have a good pulse on what was happening in the U.S. government with respect to security awareness. Um, where were people having the most challenges? How could they best support these security awareness professionals? Um, and so we did this study to kind of kind of pull the U.S. security awareness workforce or the, the government workforce and, um, and provide some input into that special publication. So we kicked off with um, a series of focus groups um, initially, for us, that was to kind of get the lay of the land, hear from security awareness professionals, what are the things that are most important to them, where are the challenges they're having, and then those focus groups informed a survey. 29 people in the focus groups, great conversations, um, 96 people completed the survey. That's where, where we got the, the data on measuring effectiveness. That was actually just a subset of our, of our data, but an important subset. Awesome. I guess the question is, um, like the, the clue is in the title, right? Of what we're talking about today, security awareness efforts fall short. What in your opinion or, or your view or from what you've learned, what are the main drivers behind that? About it uh, falling short? 
Yeah, like security awareness has been with us for a long time. The last 10 years, 15 years, organizations have been committing to security awareness programs, time, resources, and money, and, and not insignificant amounts either. Mm -hmm. And it only seems to ratchet up year on year. It seems now the, the penny is starting to drop in the fact that activity doesn't necessarily equal impact or value or effect or what we're talking about, risk reduction. Why do you think we continue mm -hmm. to invest time, money, and resources into an activity where there's no measurable proof that mm. what we're doing is working? Mm. So that's part of it is that you just hit on is there's no measurable impact. So these programs are often very compliance focused. Um, they have some kind of mandate that says that they will do training. Um, and we all, we all know how compliance tends to go. People do the minimum to, to kind of tick the box and, and move on. But these programs are also, they're not measuring, like you said, the impact. Um, there's just very little metrics. Um, they tend to focus more on training completion rates rather than, you know, how ha has this impacted employee behaviors? They also don't, as often as we would like, use security incident trends, for example, to drive the security awareness program. We're finding user-generated incidents to kind of give you clues on where people might be struggling. I also think there's too much focus on awareness. Too much trust is placed that awareness will do the job. Um, I think it's definitely necessary. We need to educate people that there's a threat, that it relates to them, that they have responsibility and security, as well as we need to empower them to be able to take action by providing them clear-cut instructions. This is how you do this. Um, so we need the awareness and the training to empower people. But we also, from a, a security professionals, from an organization perspective, we need to reduce the burden on them so that they can be successful. And I think that that's often kind of left behind. Um, kind of the, you know, I, I do a lot about usability and, um, you know, not just of like tools or interfaces, but of processes, security processes. How can we reduce the burden on our employees so that these security processes and tools are not disrupting their primary tasks. Great timing. I was at a conference last week and there was a great presentation from um, the human-centered security group at um, Ruhr University, Bolcom. They talked about um, frictions, what they called it. Friction is, is when security gets in the way of people being able to do their jobs. What they said was that the security managers recognized that there were these frictions um, and they even had some idea maybe of some root causes, but they weren't really doing anything about it other than awareness. They were relying on awareness. Well, we just need to tell people like that they need to do this and we need to get the word out. But they weren't really seeing the responsibility of the organization to make these security processes more usable for their employees so that they could be successful, to set them up for success. So I think we need to come at it from two different directions. And I think, you know, the, you know, they both have to be in place for organizations to be more successful in kind of upping their security posture in general. It sounds like you're describing a set of driving forces, which is the awareness initiatives and, and actions that organizations take to drive people towards behavior change or, or carrying out the, the right set of um, security behaviors. And then you've got restraining forces, which are the frictions you talk about, which actually prevent people 
from behaving in a secure manner. I think people want to behave securely. People want to be part of the solution, but a lot of the time, too much resources committed to this driving force and not enough time and effort and, and resource is committed to understanding what the frictions are and removing them. Absolutely. That was well said. That was well said, driving and, and restraining. Certainly not something I can take credit for. It's a, it's a Daniel Kahneman, Kahneman analogy. Have you seen any sort of tangible examples of, of restraining forces being removed and then that leading to good security behaviors? I think, I mean, I always have to go back to passwords, right? It can't, mm -hmm. you can't talk about this without, you know, passwords um, with these, you know, very uh, restrictive policies or, or very stringent um, password policies. And you've got to have a password with all these different characters. I don't know a lot, but it more should be, more organizations should be moving towards looking at password policies differently. So uh, several years ago, NIST published updated um, digital identity guidelines. And one of the things that they said in that special publication was to remove the, the password length like maximum, for example, allow people to have like long passphrases or longer passwords, um, remove the complexity requirements. Don't require people to have to change their password every 90 days. Just only require it if you think that, you know, there's, there's a, the system or the account's been compromised. So I have found with personally, and I know other people have found that can be very freeing because then I can, you know, choose a phrase that is something that is more meaningful to me. I don't have to remember all these, you know, weird special characters and where I inserted numbers and things like that. And so I don't feel the need to write my password down or keep it some other way. And so I think like just little things like that can really go a long way in, um, in improving people's security behaviors. It's such a good example of changing someone's environment so that it allows them to behave in a secure way. That combined with the driving force of awareness, here's some training content on, on what a good passphrase or password looks like. And we're allowing you, we're freeing you to use that security mechanism in a way that works for you, a person, mm -hmm. rather than a, a machine, a computer, people not designed to remember what we think of as good passwords, where you're replacing letters with special characters and numbers. We, we don't remember mm -hmm. things like that, but we can remember phrases. So that's a great example of, of removing a friction, a security friction. Mm -hmm. Let's dig into the report a little bit, because um, it calls out some, some key findings. The first one is not a surprise to anyone, but it's worth mentioning again, security awareness programs are failing at behavior management. Over 90% of cybersecurity functions have an awareness program. Yet 69% of employees admit to intentionally bypassing their enterprise's cybersecurity guidance. That for me speaks very much to the friction point. If something yes. is making someone's job more difficult, then why would they play along? Why would they get involved in something that's not aligned to the incentives around their role? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. So the other, the other key finding that really stood out to me was awareness programs struggle to measure success. And measurable employee behavior change is the primary objective of a vast majority of awareness programs, 84%, yet less than half of them consistently measure employee behavior. What are your thoughts on measuring employee behavior? And then maybe some, um, some examples of how organizations might start doing this. 
So first, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that this report said that measurable employee behavior change is a primary objective. And I think it's because they were asked a question, what's your primary objective? Is it change, behavior change, or is it compliance or something else? We didn't ask that question in, in our survey. We asked a question, do you think uh, compliance, so the training completion rates, is the most important indicator of success? And do you think your leadership thinks that compliance is the most indica uh, important indicator of success? And about half the people said yes. So that tells us that where their priorities are in that respect. Um, so it's really not surprising then that a lot of programs are not measuring behavior-based aspects of the organization, that they're mo more focused on training completion rates or um, even like attendance rates or, you know, assessment rates on the, on the training, those types of things that are more compliance-based. But, you know, we know that um, these compliance metrics, they don't tell the whole story at all. They tell us people took the training, that they clicked through it. Um, we also know that uh, this training tends to be incredibly boring and repetitive for most people, um, at least the kind of the annual training. And so that the, pro the security awareness program really needs to go above and beyond the annual training. They need to have, uh, you know, refreshers throughout the year to kind of reinforce the, the message. Um, they need to engage people. And, and, you know, there's lots of ways that they do that. But without some kind of actual measure of impact, the program's going to remain stale. Um, and then managers are going to continue to not want to invest more um, because they don't know what the return on investment is. So it's really important to gather a variety of measures, um, both quantitative, so like more like numbers, and then qualitative. Um, so the quantitative measures like, yes, you have to measure training completion rates, uh, phishing simulation click rates are a big thing, um, but also look to see, are people reporting security incidents more? Um, are there some kind of user-generated security incidents? Um, go to the help desk. The help desk is a treasure trove of information for where people are struggling as well. Um, are there a lot of password resets? Um, are people struggling, um, you know, with, uh, like encrypting a file or something like that, um, that can also give you clues to inform the security awareness program where people are struggling, um, you know, after we have a campaign for, you know, you know, password creation, does the number of password, uh, you know, help desk calls, does that go down? Like those types of things, it can be difficult to find a causal relationship between them. But again, they can kind of give us clues on whether the training is making the impact and where employees might be struggling. So those type of quantitative behavioral types of, of metrics are really good. Those kind of give us, I like to think of it as they show us like the symptoms, like that's like kind of the current status. But then we need to get at the why behind employees' behaviors and actions, right? And so that's where the qualitative comes in. So that could be a survey, that could be a focus group, that could be talking to people to understand, you know, why are you struggling? Where are you struggling? What do you think of the, the program as is, right? What's your direct feedback? How can we improve it? How can we make it more relevant and useful to you? Um, and I think a lot of organizations fail to do, especially that second part, is, is to get that feedback. 
Um, and I think, you know, going back to our talk about uh, friction, just doing some simple usability testing when you're going to, you know, you're going to put out a new security tool or a new process, just getting a few, rep, you know, representative people in the organization to try it out and provide feedback um, is incredibly useful. And you can, you know, with just a small number of people, you can identify major issues that other employees might also face. And so you can avoid a lot of, you know, help desk calls further on. So, yeah, the impact definitely needs to be measured or else, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the motivation for continuing awareness? Yeah, like now, now we're starting to pull at a string which, which has value attached to it. Impact. I guess for me is, is things like risk outcomes. It's how many data breaches did we have last year? How many incidents of malware infection did we have last year? Starting to draw lines between the activities you're doing and the impact they're having on these risk outcomes. Like you say, it might not always be obvious and it might not be a line of causation, but there are certainly strong correlations between the really good activities people are doing as part of security awareness initiatives and, and the impact on risk outcomes. I mean, this is the philosophy we have at CybeSafe. This is, this is what we're trying to, to build into a software platform. And this is, this is what we're try, trying to encourage people to do is really start to look at these lines. What can you infer from the activity you have done on, on your instances of malware infection or, or data breaches or data leakage? And you spoke as well about extending your definition of, I guess, security behaviors beyond just phishing and instance of people reporting. There's so much data in an organization on the types of passwords people are using, whether or not people are sharing those passwords, whether or not they're using personal devices for work. This sort of data, when pulled from these systems and then the, the lens of human cyber risk applied over the top of it, that then maybe makes the lines of correlation causation shine a little bit more mm -hmm. brightly. Yeah, I, I definitely. The, the correlating of data from different sources is very important, but rarely done. And that was a topic that definitely came up in our, uh, our focus groups and our survey um, is that quite a few organizations really have a challenge in taking data from, from multiple sources. A lot of times it seems to be because of a lack of resources, which is, you know, everyone, you know, the report also talked about low staffing, low funding. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have, uh, you know, a, an organization that has several tens of thousands of employees and you have one person that is, uh, you know, the security awareness person and that's all. Um, and, and that person is likely only part-time on that. Several years ago, I did a, um, I did a, a year long case study of a security awareness team. They were a small team, but they were so creative and they had so many ideas of the types of data that they wanted to correlate, but they just didn't have the resources to do it. They had a plan. They couldn't bring in more people to do it. Um, so I think that's, you know, it's maybe one of these chicken before the egg type of problems, right? Like we need to justify impact before we get more resources, but we need more resources before we can have the metrics to show impact. Yeah, this is a really interesting point. I was reading something earlier in the week about in marketing, the, the concept of um, building an owned audience, like having people sign up to a newsletter. And one of the, 
I guess, frictions of that exercise is it's, it's not immediate what the value is of people subscribing to a newsletter, but over time you build an audience that's yours rather than relying on a social media platform for their audience. Um, even if you have followers on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Facebook, they're not yours. They belong to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. But if you can bring that audience to you as subscribers, you then have a direct link to them. And the question was asked, yes, but how do we do that? That's, that's an exercise we have to embark on with no immediate returns. And the advice was take something you are doing where you're spending a, a fair amount of cash. And in this, this example, it was, um, paid advertising. And the advice was take some of that, maybe 5%, 10%, start diverting that into the long-term play, start diverting that into creating your own audience. And it seemed like a parallel we could draw here. What are some things you're doing within your security awareness initiatives beyond your compliance obligations? Cause you have to do those. And here's the, the tough pill to swallow, I guess, which look good, but drive no measurable change. Mm. What are some things there that, that maybe you can start diverting resources to a data analyst for, for half a day a week Yeah, to, to start looking at data? Definitely, you know, having kind of that data analysis piece as well. I think when you were just positing that question, what immediately came to mind, um, again, kind of going back to that case study I did, that security awareness team had a lot of creative ideas for activities throughout the year to engage people. Again, you, you know, you have like attendance numbers and things like that, but you don't know exactly like what the impact on people um, actually was. But they had um, like different like activity fairs like set up um, during lunchtime in like a major thoroughfare where people were walking by, um, where they would have different tables about different security types of topics. And so they had a lot of traffic through there. They did a whole Shakespeare themed play um, to send or not to send about email security and dressed up. And, and again, it like attracted a, a bunch of people to come and see what's this kind of silly little thing, but it's very memorable. What impressed me about them is they weren't af afraid to take a risk or to try something new, um, see what the feedback was on it. And I think that they were being successful to, to a certain degree, at least. They weren't great at measuring impact again. Um, but I interviewed a bunch of employees from that organization that had attended some of these events and they all were like, oh, I'm like super paranoid about this, or I make sure I do this. And it was all kind of linked back to the message that they were receiving from the security awareness program. So a little bit of risk-taking, trying new things, different employees respond differently to different medium, right? So some like will never look at email. Um, some want something that's more interactive. Some want to listen to speakers. Um, so trying a lot of different things in addition to, you know, getting more resources for the data analysis, for example, and to really delve into like, what, it, what are we actually seeing? Um, I think both of those things um, can really help. Yeah. It sounds like there is an element of autonomy that can be applied to creative activities in security awareness initiatives. So there's no reason why that, that same autonomy couldn't be applied to, well, actually we're going to cut some budget from next year's week of activities of, of like high impact activities. And we're going to place that into having someone look 
at the data sets in our organizations, the data sets from Uber tools, uh, UEBA tools, the Active Directory, the SIEM tools, start taking that data and applying the lens of human cyber risk over the top of it. What does that mean for our incidents of malware infection or data breaches or, or phishing emails from last year? Can we draw any parallels from that? That for me sounds like a, a worthwhile activity for a security team or a security awareness initiative. Certainly yeah. if it can then support further activity and, and budget in the future. Yeah, you, you need to know where your organization needs the most support and you've got to look at data to do that. One thing I did want to touch on was, I guess the concept that the, there are only two ways that organizations change or organizational change takes place. Organizations are either enlightened, perhaps following a data breach, perhaps because they've realized they're able to better prove the value of risk reduction efforts as it relates to security awareness, or because they're compelled through regulation and compliance. Where do you think we're heading? Seeing as, seeing as you, you sit within the organization that sort of provides the guidance, we'll call it guidance, but for all intents and purposes, if, if the US government is doing it and you're not doing it, then there, there might be an issue. Um, where do you think we're going in terms of compliance and regulation as it, as it relates to what we're talking about? Wow, that's an easy question. No. <laughs> I, would, I would prefer that organizations became enlightened, but not because they've been compromised. Uh, I'd prefer they become enlightened because, because of other um, more positive motivators. Compliance is it's going to be around, right? Um, you know, I, I started in the cybersecurity business a long time ago where cybersecurity was not a big thing for organizations at all. It was not on the radar. And so when the first few mandates came out in the government, um, we thought, well, that's a lot better than nothing because that's what they're doing nothing now. So, you know, having some kind of minimum baseline is better than nothing. And I still believe that. However, when you have a compliance um, activity, organizations tend to only do that and not go above and beyond or not do what is appropriate for their organization. So I think it's, again, it's like, what is our end goal here? If our end goal is to make our organization more secure, to empower our employees, will that comply, the minimum compliance get us there? Probably not exactly. And so then how do we need to do better to get there? It's a mindset change. We all know that's very difficult. Um, I mean, compliance is here to stay. But I would like to see mandates focus more on not just complete the training, but this is why we're doing this training. Um, so th those little things where we're, we're signaling, this is why you should be doing this. It's not just to meet the mandate. Uh, and that's not, you know, it's not an easy problem to, to solve, of course. But by no means, by no means. So it seems like the, the academic community understand this and and several years ago you guys were, were ringing the, the alarm bells for this more recently some really good work done by Forrester and and now Gartner picking up I guess on on the research that's preceded their work and they're saying the same thing as as we're seeing today by looking at this, this report they're saying you need to do more you can't just hope that compliance is going to reduce your risk because it's not do you think if organizations had access to, to better risk modeling methods or software, which, which helped them understand the value of their activities, do you think that there'd be more 
enlightened in that respect to pay closer attention to what they were doing? I think if it's done thoughtfully and a good effort is made, um, certainly that can help. You know, I mean, NIST has a risk management framework with a, you know, a number of, of items um, for organizations to consider. I think for smaller organizations going through kind of that formal process um, can be much more challenging because they don't always have the staff that have the expertise in cybersecurity to be able to assess that. So I think that can be challenging. So I think, you know, simpler versions of kind of risk modeling tools or um, checklists or frameworks um, can help those types of organizations. But, you know, it does, but it does come down to, you need to know, you need to understand the risks to your organization and potential consequences if those were exploited. Yeah. And something I saw recently as we, our organizations are gearing up towards Cybersecurity Awareness Month is that this year, the Cybersecurity Alliance have called out some key behaviors that they want to focus on during Cybersecurity Awareness Month. One thing that organizations can do really quite easily is map security behaviors to the training content that they're delivering to people. So you've done some training, great. But what, what security behaviors were covered in that training? You're going to do a workshop. Awesome. What security behaviors are you going to focus on in that workshop? And that is a very simple line of, of correlation to be drawn from activity and impact. And indeed, this is, this is called out in the reports, security awareness efforts fall short. Now what? One of these things is, is start measuring security behaviors, or at least start measuring your um, activity as it relates to security behaviors. And organizations can do that really easily. We've built a database called the security behavior database, uh, where security behaviors are listed and they are linked to their risk outcomes. So you, there you have the three pieces of the puzzle that you might need. You, you have your risk outcome, your security behaviors and the activity that you're doing. Start okay. drawing lines between the three. Then I think we're on to at least moving in a direction that's intentional rather than just doing activity because we're told we have to do it. Yep, exactly. What's next from NIST? Are they going to go as far as to say you need to do more than compliance? So there's actually... Um, the public draft of the special publication I was talking about that we helped inform, I can't give an exact date, but I think it'll be due out in the next month or two. I was very happy to see a lot of emphasis on impact measuring behaviors, specific types of things that can be measured. Um, again, this is considered guidance. So it's, they're recommendations. They're not, they're not mandates. So we definitely saw a lot of our findings and recommendations reflected in that report. Um, and that was one of the things when we were talking to people in our focus groups and then even some of the, the open-ended feedback we received from people in the survey, security awareness professionals are really looking for like guidance. Like they seem to know, like I, I'm probably not measuring the right things, but I don't know exactly what I should be measuring, how I should be measuring it. I don't know how to correlate um, data or what data should I be correlating. And so they're very hungry for, you know, more kind of tips and guidelines on how to go about doing that, what is most meaningful. Um, and so I think 
that this special publication starts to provide a lot of that. It's more detailed, I think, than the, the previous 2003 version. And it's updated with things like phishing, uh, which were not included in 2003, because that wasn't a thing back then. You know, I think they sit, they're willing, but they just need more help. They need more support and, and trying to figure out what's most meaningful. Yeah, it's the second part of the, the report we're looking at. Now what? Now what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you as it always is. Looking forward to the, the next NIST publication and, and to mm -hmm. see the work you guys are doing. For anyone who wants to read the report that we've been talking about today, you will find the link in the description of this podcast and we'll see you all next time on Behave. Thank you, Joe.